It is just after noon here on Toronto Today, TSN 1050, tsn1050.ca, and on the iHeartRadio app. I'm Andy McNamara with you until 1 o'clock then. The Scott MacArthur Show takes over. Still to come in less than a half hour, 1230. Eric Bischoff, former boss of WCW, founder of NWO, Hollywood Hogan, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, and co-host of the new 83 Weeks podcast to talk about those famous Monday Night War days is going to be at 12.30. So you can tweet me at AndyMC81 or text the station at 10.50.50. Your questions for Easy e Eric Bischoff, one of the true legends in the wrestling business. You can vote on our Twitter poll as well. It is uh, at TSN1050Radio. What's your favorite stable of all time? Your favorite wrestling group, the NWO... The Four Horsemen, the Degeneration X, or the Corporate Ministry. And you can tweet in your own. And we have had people tweet in their own. Leading the way so far, DX. Wow, NWO was leading early. DX at 43%. NWO at 37%. Horsemen at 19 That was led by Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, and the Corporate Ministry after that. So, um, And when you look at... Uh, let's see here. At AWIII75 says one of the most underrated stables, the Nation of Domination. How about that? Nation of Domination. That's 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 going way back to 96. Heart Foundation getting some votes as well. Uh, Evolution. And the other TSN 1050 radio show poll on Twitter is who do you expect to make the bigger impact in September in the majors if they get called up? Vladdy Guerrero Jr. or Tim Tebow. Mets are sounding like they're going to bring him up in September. He played in the AA All-Star game, got a double. So will it be Vladdy Jr. for the Jays, Tim Tebow for the Mets? Can't even believe I'm saying that. Or neither will have an impact. So you can vote on those two polls at TSN 1050 Radio. Now, let's get into a little CFL talk here. Week 5 in the Canadian Football League starts tonight. And if you need to catch up or get ready for the weekend, I host CFL Weekly every Tuesday at 9 o'clock here on the station. You can find the podcasted version on my Twitter at AndyMC81, Instagram at AndyMCSports, or on the TSN1050.ca show page under CFL Weekly. It's on iTunes as well. Lots of ways for you to find it and get ready. Plenty of Argos talk this week. Also, as Toronto plays Edmonton, that is going to be live on the station at 9 p.m. tomorrow. Lucky Friday the 13th there. I chatted with Chris Cuthbert earlier in the week to get ready for week five and go over all the CFL storylines. On the line with me, very excited to have my next guest, Chris Cuthbert, voice of the CFL on TSN, one of the terrific play-by-play men there. Chris, how's it going, man? I'm good, Andy. Good to be with you. Excellent. So you got a doubleheader yourself this weekend. You're starting uh, Lucky Friday the 13th, Edmonton Argos rematch of the home-and-home, then BC Winnipeg. So let's start with Edmonton and Toronto. And I talked about this a little bit earlier in the show. Very interesting in what we saw out of James Franklin and James Wilder finally being Unleash. What should we expect out of the Argos offense in the rematch? More of the same? Well, I, I, I think they hope more of the same. I mean, uh, James Franklin's got a game underneath him now and uh, looked pretty good. Certainly came out of the gate impressively. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they did get bogged down in the middle of the game, but uh, uh, impressive that they... Uh, they scored late, and maybe the most impressive thing is to take that ball with 2.19 to go and not give it back. But uh, that's that's what James Wilder can do. And uh, uh, I think there's been seven 100-yard rushing games in the league this year. And, and 
for a couple of guys, they got out of the gate quickly. For Wilder and C.J. Gable, it seemed to take two or three games to get going. Uh, but uh, but they're prime running backs, and uh, and it seems like the offenses that are working best right now are the ones that are balanced and do have uh, a pretty strong running game. Calgary, the best example of that. Uh, absolutely, and Calgary gets back at it. Uh, now, for Edmonton, little and, and I'm... <clears throat> I give more credit to the Argos on that that last uh, two three minute stand than blame Jason Moss uh, per se. Do you do you agree? Like that that's the right move to make. You know, for for me, that uh, you know, if you're over two minutes to go, uh, you I, I punt the football. I, right. I I disagreed with the way Jason Moss handled the uh, the playoff game last year uh, when he when he gambled on third down a couple of times and then third down late. Uh, in field goal range, uh, or, or, or it, it, with a chance to score, he he, uh, he kicked the field goal. But uh, I, you know what? If you're over two minutes, I, I I'm I'm kicking and 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 looking to your defense to get a stop. Even one first down should get the ball. You sh- if you hold them to one or less, you should get the ball back. And uh, unfortunately, James Wilder didn't give it back. Yeah, exactly. I give more credit to the Argos than blame Moss on that one. Now you brought up that running quarterback tandem, that true dual threat. And with Edmonton, they got Mike Riley, obviously, elite level. Now, C.J. Gable. Chris, we have seen... I don't know if you're as frustrated as I when you watch Chris uh, when you watch C.J. Gable because this guy can pop off for 120 or he can do what we saw last week at 39 yards. Like The inconsistency is so frustrating considering what he can be. And if he is on that duo of Riley-Gable, that's hard to stop. Yeah, he, C.J. Gable didn't make the CFL uh, uh, on TSN Top 50. He was in my Top 50. Uh, and and I kind of felt like that was vindicated the way he played against the BC Lions a couple of weeks back. But uh, uh, but you know I I do think the running game is a uh, is a team game and 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 the inconsistency might be just largely the entire offense, but what he did against BC is what I think he can do on a fairly regular basis, and uh, I think he's a thousand yard back in the league, and, and uh, uh, he certainly was outshone by Wilder last week. Now, Chris, obviously only time is going to tell us what James Franklin is. Yes, he looked good. I like the extended drives. This wasn't just a fluke Hail Mary go down and, and do it. These were extended drives. These were calculated, but is it where do you put the Argos as far as Ranking and contendership, I guess it all really lies on how effective Franklin is at this point, right? Well, Franklin and Wilder. Wilder yeah, was the guy yeah. I thought turned around their season last year, sure. and uh, but he takes some pressure off a young quarterback for sure. Uh, now he's not a, a, a raw rookie, James Franklin, for, uh, by any means. But uh, I think it's going to be a few more weeks in 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 the Mark Trestman system where he's calling all the plays before we really. Uh, get to see that Argo offense in high gear. The one observation I have, I thought Levi Noel did a nice job. Uh, I, I still think the Argos are missing that deep threat that they had with Devere Posey last year, right. and uh, that would uh, that would really complement this, uh, this Argo offense uh, a whole lot. See if Jim Pop can add that as the season goes on. In conversation with Chris Cuthbert, play-by-play voice on TSN, calling two games this weekend for the CFL. We talked about the first one, Toronto at Edmonton. The second one, now a light schedule week five. This is the last of the weekend, one of three. BC Lions hosting the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And Chris, I don't know about you, I was looking for the BC Lions, a resurgence from Jonathan Jennings. The question was, were we going to see 2016 Jennings, who was emerging or hampered by injuries last year? What was he? 
boy, uh, I don't know if there's a hidden injury, but he's he's not looking too good right now. No, and, and now the question is, are, are we going to see Jonathan Jennings at all, or are we mm-hmm. going to see Travis Lule? And uh, uh, that's, you know... Right now, that offense has got uh, some issues, and, and, and they're trying to pinpoint, is it Jonathan Jennings? Uh, is it uh, just learning the, the, the new system of Jarius Jackson? Uh, is it uh, offensive line? Not, uh, you know, uh, what, what exactly is it? But um, I'm kind of curious to see Winnipeg dialed their offense up a couple of years ago when they when they moved from Drew Willie to Matt Nichols if if it is Travis Lule and he gets it going does that answer questions of what what was wrong and if Travis Lule can't get the offense going now now where do you turn so right. uh, I, I find it really interesting because uh, I, I thought BC Winnipeg last week was was uh, was a coin flip going in, and it was uh, it turned out to be men against boys. And if uh, if BC drops another one at home, and they're and they're uh, winless in their first three against the West, uh, one win against Montreal, uh, that they're they're in a big hole early in the season. Well, Chris, the question with Travis Lule was never if he could play or, or play at a high level. We know he can. It's staying healthy, and we saw when he came in last year, he lit he lit it up right, and then inevitably it seems. He got hurt. So it looks like for the BC Lions, if you go to Lule and you kind of just get through the year, then you really have to start. If you have decided, all right, Jennings is not the guy, you got to almost reboot that whole type of offense system and get somebody new in there. Because Cody Fajardo's not going to do it. Well, that's for sure. They've got to find out uh, once and for all if Jonathan Jennings is the is the centerpiece of, of yeah. the team going forward. And and two years ago, they after the big season that you mentioned, they they did a heavy promotion on he was the guy, and uh, and and now we're not sure. So uh, that is the. the that is the kind of catch twenty two here. That Travis Lule is the kind of guy that can uh, uh, can turn the season around. But uh, but you know how how long do you look down the road? Ed Hervey's uh, the new guy, and 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 he's probably looking for the next future for the guy that for the next five years. But at the same time, it's Wally Bono's final year, and and I'm sure both of them are looking for success this season as well. So, uh, uh, you know, at what point do you sacrifice uh, the future for the now and vice versa? And, and then there's then there's that uh, that percentage of the fan base that's uh, joining the, uh, uh, you know, the Montreal fans and maybe some fans in Saskatchewan that are, are thinking, hey, Johnny Manziel, sitting on the bench we should be talking about him yeah boy isn't it interesting Chris the conversation switch to well okay when is Johnny going to get in and replace Jeremiah Masoli to all right well where else can we ship him off to and if you're the Ticats I don't know if there's really a rush to do it because you got this this really still unproven but exciting asset and in a market like Montreal, like BC, that if you put Johnny in there, that's a, a nice little spike up. That's going to be a fascinating storyline to follow. It is. Uh, you know, the Ticats, I think, are very comfortable right now with with just having Johnny Manziel uh, learning the game, 
waiting in the wings, being the insurance policy. I mean, I think Jeremiah Masoli is the best story in the league so far this sure. season, and uh, and and next game out will be uh, going after a Canadian Football League record that uh, uh, you know that was was matched in 1991, was set in 1956. I mean, it's one that's been on the books for a long time, and and for him to uh, have a shot at his 10th consecutive 300-yard game is pretty impressive. He's uh, he's really, I think, established himself as a bona fide guy that can uh, uh, that can lead a team on a consistent basis. Well, it'll be a fun week, Chris. Safe travels. Thank you so much for taking the time. Really appreciate it. Always good chatting the CFL with you, Andy. Thanks. That was Chris Cuthbert, play-by-play voice of the CFL on TSN. And Week 5 kicks off tonight. You can watch all the games, of course, on TSN. And it is uh, Calgary versus Ottawa. Former Argos backup QB Trevor Harris in action there versus Bolivar Mitchell. Toronto into Edmonton tomorrow, 9 p.m. in the rematch of the home-and-home against the Eskimos. And really for the Argos, it's going to be very interesting to see what does Game 2 for James Franklin look like? Wasn't overwhelming numbers by the quarterback, which is fine because Mark Tressman didn't put him in a situation where it all had to be on him. And finally, James Wilder was let loose. Like, James Wilder is so good, big, fast, talented. There was a play last year, a couple of times, where he did every type of thing a running back could do in a single play. He took the handoff. He made... Like, two guys missed, split tackle, stiff-armed a dude, tiptoed along the sideline, and burst with just pure speed. This is a man-beast in James Wilder Jr. Like, just an absolute athletic freak show. So what do they do against the Edmonton Eskimos? And then on Saturday, the finale of Week 5, Winnipeg Blue Bombers in to take on the BC Lions. I chatted with Adam Bighill, the star uh, linebacker for the Bombers on CFL Weekly this week. Again, you can catch that on iTunes or on the tsn1050.ca show page as well. I tweeted out on uh, my Twitter at AndyMC81. All right, folks, almost that time in about uh, 15 minutes' time, bottom of the hour, Eric Bischoff, NWO leader, founder, former boss of WCW, the guy who beat Vince McMahon in the Monday Night Wars in the ratings for 83 straight weeks. Unheard of. Nobody touched Vince McMahon. Nobody. He put other territories out of business. Bischoff came in, Turner Sports, and just raised it up and took over. Took over for 83 weeks, and in large part that was due to the new world order when Hogan joined Hall, Nash. So we'll talk to Eric Bischoff at 12.30. Now, if you got questions, I've got a bunch of them, but we'll try to squeeze in a couple more. If you got questions for Eric Bischoff, you want me to ask him, tweet me at AndyMC81 or text the station 10.50.50 at AndyMC81 or text the station at 10.50.50. So let's go to our poll question here a little bit and we'll start with our baseball one with Tim Tebow going to the AA All-Star game, getting a double, and talk that the Mets are going to call him up in September. Now, Locally, a notable name is making the move to AAA in Buffalo and should, if he stays healthy, for Jays fans anyway, in a bleak season, Vladdy Guerrero Jr. should be called up at least for a bit. Give him a taste. I don't care if he, how many games he plays. Just give him a taste of the pros, even if he's not expected to be in next year. 
So the poll question at TSN 1050 Radio, who will make a bigger impact in the MLB come September? Vladdy Guerrero Jr., Tim Tebow, or neither will make an impact? Vladdy Jr. leading the way in the clubhouse, 58%. Tebow time at 11%, and neither at 31%. Our producer, Herbie Sachs. Herbie, how are you voting here? It's fun to think that Tebow could be a pro. Right? Well, I have to agree fully with Keegan Matheson and what he said earlier. I could see Tim Tebow coming up and Vladdy Jr. staying down. So, in that case, Tim Tebow's going to have the more effective time this year because I be do there. see him coming up for ticket sales. However, saying that, if they're both up, there's no question Vladdy Guerrero is the better baseball player. Yeah, and I liked what Keegan said, and we'll have that uh, section podcast and tweeted out at TSN 1050 Radio about what Vladdy has to still improve on. Powerful bat. It's just mashing double A over 400. You see the numbers. You have the Vladdy tracker that Scott Mitchell, our TSN Jays reporter, puts out on TSN.ca. The numbers are insane. But base running, fielding, defense, like there are things that he has to work on. He's 19 years old. He's young. Far from a finished product. But for the Jays, like just as long as it doesn't screw up future contracts and waivers in the future, whatever, if you can bring him up safely for a few games at the end of the year, give your fan base something positive at the end of the season. Right? This year for the Jays sucks. They're going nowhere. We've known that for a long time. 21 and a half games out of the AL East. Okay? It's been long over. So give them something to smile about. Give them something positive. Right? Have Vlad Guerrero Jr. up for a few games. And then what that tells the fan base is, hey, guess what? Bright days are coming. Look who we got. Show off your new toy. The Mets are in a similar boat. They're terrible. Now, Tim Tebow is not the future. He's 30 years old. He's, I want to give him more credit than just being a gimmick because I think he's earned that through sticking with this thing in minor league baseball and grinding it out. Like, tons of respect to him for that. But... He is not a viable option to turn the Mets around or be a core piece. That's for ticket sales. And they'll, they'll be a big boom in ticket, uh, ticket sales for the Mets. Tim Tebow comes up. National media for Tim Tebow's Major League debut. That's sensational. He's not going to be an impact guy. I want to see Vladdy where he's at. Then I'm fine send him, sending him back down next season. If 2020 is when you want him, good, okay. Next year's a mail-in year. We can kind of figure that. And have him develop at AAA, have a full season down. But give him a taste of the lights. Give him something to want to get back to. That's what I think is important for rising stars in minor league baseball. Give them a taste. This is what you could have. You're going back down. But this is why you keep working hard. This is why you keep doing what you do. So you can vote on that at TSN 1050 Radio. Jay starting a weekend set in Boston, Fenway Park, against the Red Sox. David Price versus Jay Happ. Heavyweight battle there out on the hill. See if Jay Happ can turn in a respectable performance. Six runs allowed in two and two-thirds innings last time out. Oof. Like, Jay, come on. We need your trade value to get up a little bit here. Put up a nice couple performances before the deadline. Ship you off for something. Because this is, this is sell time, obviously, for the Jays. It's sell time. 
You're delusional if you think this team has any possibility of turning it around next year. They're delusional this year, the front office. We can contend for a wild card with our pieces of Curtis Granderson. Really? That's, that was your sell job. And I remember, wasn't, wasn't the word too like, oh, we're not done yet, don't worry. It's not going to be just be Granderson. It was just Granderson. What, Grycheck? Okay. Like, th- this team was done this year. And I think they'd even contend for a wild card was foolish. So you got to push for the future with these deals and then satisfy the fan base with a little bit of Vladdy Jr. Now, our other TSN 1050 radio show poll on Twitter is, since NWO founder and former WCW boss Eric Bischoff is joining me at 1230, so just nine minutes away, who is your all-time favorite pro wrestling stable? Your group. From when you were a kid, young adult, whatever. Because during the time of the NWO and the Monday Night Wars, 96 to probably going up to 2002, WCW was bought out by Vince before then, Vince McMahon and the WWE. But that was kind of the last golden age. Stables were rampant. Storylines, phenomenal. Who is your favorite wrestling group, your favorite stable? The NWO, New World Order. D-Generation X. Led by Shawn Michaels, Triple H, China, X-Pac, Road Dog, Jesse James, the Four Horsemen back in the 80s when Ric Flair was styling and profiling with Arn Anderson, Tully. And then really, we're going to leave it open for the fourth one. I put corporate ministry in, but there's been a lot of great tweets saying, well, what about the Hart Foundation? Of course. Bret Hart? Come on. Love Bret Hart. What about the New Day? No. Alex tweeted that in the New Day. Uh, no, they, they are not going to qualify. Nation of Domination getting a vote. Evolution, which was kind of the Four Horsemen reboot. I uh, had Beach Hugo for the Hart Foundation. A Bullet Club, which I believe is from the indie scene. Uh, is that right, Chris? Yes. Yeah, they're from, from uh, New Japan. New Japan, New Japan. Okay, Bullet Club. I haven't seen them, but I've heard, I've heard good things. Um. And then you, you can really run down a whole bunch of others. But who had the biggest impact? Who was your favorite you couldn't miss? And leading the way is DX. I'm a little surprised. Now, this is a traditional WWF, WWE territory. But uh, DX leading the way at 44%. NWO next at 36%. Horseman at 20%. So we'll uh, get into all that and all the questions for Eric Bischoff. Now, make sure tweet in. Your questions, or you can text at 10.50.50 for Bischoff about the NWO, about whatever, with the Monday Night Wars. we got a lot in. If you want them to get in, time's a ticking. And we'll get to Eric Bischoff, and then uh, that'll take us up to uh, 1 o'clock where uh, Scotty Mack, Scott MacArthur Show, will take over. We'll talk a little bit more about uh, the Raptors. We're going to get a lot of Raptors talking tomorrow with the Kawhi Leonard situation. We'll talk a little bit about that before the show wraps up. But let's step away now. Bottom of the hour, it's Eric Bischoff, former WCW boss, NWO founder, coming up right here on TSN 1050. The following announcement has been paid for by the New World Order. right here is the future of wrestling you can call this the new world order of wrestling brother
Oh, yes. Oh, it's time. It is time, folks. New World Order. N-W-O. Eric Bischoff will be joining me in just a moment. Welcome back to Toronto Today here on TSN 1050, tsn1050.ca, the iHeartRadio app. I'm Andy McNamara. Give me a follow on Twitter at AndyMC81, the station at TSN 1050 Radio. This man created the NWO, former boss of WCW, beat Vince McMahon and the WWE for 83 straight weeks in the Monday Night Wars Nitro versus Raw. He's done it all. He's seen it all. And I'm thrilled to have on the line, welcome, Easy e himself, Eric Bischoff. Eric, how are you, man? I am well, Andy. How are you? I am very excited to chat with you, my friend. And we've had Twitter's been blowing up. I said, send in your questions for Eric, and, and people are just pumped. And before we get to those, uh, anybody who has not heard your new podcast, 83 Weeks, it is fascinating. It's kind of like the Netflix version for your ears, just like binge listening with all the stories. For those who haven't heard about it yet, can you tell us a little bit about the show? Sure. Um, well, the title of the show, the name of the show is 83 Weeks, and it really, the show tries to document, if you will, uh, go back in time and document those 83 weeks. And, and not so much in order to, you know, pat myself on the back or anything like that, but really just to look at all of the things that took place during that period of time that we now refer to as the Monday Night Wars and how those, how the Monday Night Wars really changed the wrestling industry really forever i mean and it, it you see it today you know a lot of the things that were created during the monday night wars and created on nitro are very commonplace now on monday night raw or smackdown so we we go back and we look at we look at the war and we break it down episode by episode pay-per-view by pay-per-view and we pick the hottest topics and the most controversial things about that time and and break it down and, and hear the backstory and what really went on behind the scenes and Eric, that's what's so fascinating to me and, and wrestling fans is back then, it was really before the the internet was what it was and there were still surprises. You could still be surprised and you got blamed for a lot of things. And what I liked listening about this show was you were blamed for, okay, well, Mabel was going to be the third man in the NWO. Just ridic- some ridiculous things that uh, other wrestlers have said, just bloggers or whoever have said over the years that you were able to debunk. Is this kind of like a cleansing process for you for, for you to be able to set the record straight? Uh, you know, not really. I mean, I, I got over a lot of that, you know, many, many years ago. But, you know, the truth is, or the fact is that, you know, there's so much narrative or, or history out there that has been written by people that didn't have a clue. Mm-hmm. They were near, nowhere near the business of the wrestling business. They were nowhere near, and when I say near, I mean not involved, not even in the same um, zip code as, you know, the decision-making process. But, you know, you go back to, you know, prior to the Internet, you had, you know, what they referred to as dirt sheets or weekly newsletters that were put up any number of people. And a lot of those newsletters were written in such a way to lead their, their viewers or their readers to believe that they were reading real, uh, credible inside information. And that inside information was generally third or fourth-hand information. In many cases, it was fabricated and, and, you know, tossed out to these writers as, you know, basically bait. And, and the writers went with it and reported it as fact. And for many, many years, people had believed that narrative and that history. So this show gives us an opportunity to go back and debunk 
some of those ridiculous, you know, reports and positions and perspectives that, you know, people have for so long, you know, grabbed a hold of and, and taken as gospel. Right, and it, there's a whole Bret Hart episode I encourage people to listen to where there's a lot of things, Eric, I'll be honest, I thought were one way, and, and you totally cleared up with the whole Bret Hart situation from his book. So that's that's a, a fascinating episode. There's the Brian Pillman one that's, uh, that's out, Dusty Rhodes, and, and really going through uh, each, as you said, each episode, each week in pay-per-view. Now, for yourself, when this whole thing came together, Hall and Nash coming over, why do you feel when Hogan dropped the leg on Macho Man and the NWO was formed, why do you feel it took off how it did? Because you had the big personalities, but it just seemed like the wrestling world was was waiting and, and just to have it be such a big part of pop culture, too. Why do you think it got so big? I think there were so many reasons. You know, it, in my experience, you know, there's never one reason for, you know, a huge success mm. or there's never one reason for a huge failure. You know, when it, in, in entertainment, usually it's a combination of a lot of little things uh, combined with you know, the good fortune of great timing. <laughs> you know, sometimes some of the best ideas, you know, that have ever been put together, you know, fell victim to bad timing. And, and I think in this case, we were fortunate to have the right cast of characters, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, Hulk Hogan, it came together in an amazing story that was believable. You know, the NWO really started with the idea that Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, who previously worked in WCW, who then went to work for WWF and subsequently became big stars, were now returning to WCW to kind of take revenge on the people that didn't give them the respect they deserved. It's a very simple story, really, at its core. But I think, you know, the combination of, you know, who's the third man, the, 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 the element of mystery that was such a cornerstone to that story helped make that story even more interesting. And then to top it off with Hulk Hogan, who was such an icon and, you know, such a, a, a good guy or baby face for such a long period of time at the highest level, for him to, you know, surprise the world and turn heel on top of all of the other great elements of that story and that great cast just put it way over the top. And it, it, it still resonates with wrestling fans to this day, 20 some odd years later. In conversation with Eric Bischoff, former boss of WCW, creator of the NWO, catches podcast 83 weeks at 83weeks.com on iTunes, all of the podcast sites, and on Twitter at E. Bischoff. So, Eric, when you were looking at this idea of the NWO, there's been stables in the past. There were the Four Horsemen and, and more previous to this. Did any other stable group or, or anything else from previous wrestling storylines influence you? Because this does seem, you say it's, it's simple and that's true, but it does seem like for wrestling it is kind of unique. Well, it was very unique, and I didn't pattern the NWO off of any other stable. You know, and if you go back, and you know, I mean, you have to go back to be fair and, and really honest about it. You know, the NWO as we, we know of it today, you know, the kind of the black and white and the NWO logo and, and all of the things that, you know, made the NWO so cool, just the very unique way that we produce our, um, our, our, our vignettes or our promos, you know, had never been done before, shooting them in black and white and editing, to, editing them together in such a way that they were done almost in sound bites instead of extended, prolonged interviews, which it had been the formula that people had gotten accustomed to in wrestling for so long. You know, everything that we did with the NWO was different than anything that had ever been done before, which is one of the reasons it worked. You know, 
it, it's not like we looked at it. You know, you look at the Four Horsemen, which is probably the next most popular stable in the history of wrestling. You know, there's nothing about the NWO that looks anything like the Four Horsemen, other than it was a group of people. The, the way we presented the characters, the way we conducted the interviews, the kind of anarchy that was really threaded through all of the characters and, and all of the things that they did. They kind of represented an anti-hero, if you will, which was something that was evolving in pop culture at that time. And, and, and honestly, I don't, I don't want to make it sound like I saw it coming and I took advantage of it. It just was, it was coincidence. You know, I like to make myself sound like a genius. And tell you, <laughs> it, it was by design, but so much of it was just great. That's what I mean about great timing. The culture was ready. I think wrestling fans were tired of the same old formula week after week after week, year after year after year. And the NWO represented something fresh and new. And it was a great cast of characters. Now, Eric, I got this question from multiple people on, on Twitter and, and texting in. Um, do you feel that the NWO got too big in the sense of the amount of members in them as it grew and everybody was kind of okay hey almost the almost of the day the golden state warriors idea you can't beat them join them type of feel did it get too big would it have been better if it stayed into a smaller group you know in retrospect i think that's very clear you know and it's the answer is short answer is yes but the elongated answer you know is there was a reason for it and i'm not justifying it by the way it, the short answer still remains the short answer, yes. However, um, the reason we were doing it is because we were, we were anticipating and building for a brand split. The goal eventually was for NWO to have its own show on Monday nights and for WCW to have its own show on Thursday nights on TBS and have basically a war between the two companies. That was the intent. That was the reason that we kept building the NWO. It wasn't just because it was easy and fun. Um, it was because, I mean, there was a reason for There was a method behind the madness. Unfortunately, it never played itself out. You know, we got the second show, the Thunder show, but the, the, you know, the rug got pulled out from, you know, underneath WCW before we were ever really able to execute on the original idea the way it was intended. Yeah, and you expanded on that in 83 Weeks as well. You can find it at 83weeks.com, which I, I, I'm sure many wrestling fans did not know, and then it does make sense when you break down some of the decisions made. Uh, a couple more Twitter questions for you here, Eric, from at Agent Jack, Agent Double O Jack, says, I'd love to know how Eric feels about the current state of wrestling, and what would he do to change it to bring it back to the glory days? You know, that's a really good question, and I understand why people ask it. But I, I'm, I'm pretty realistic about it. You know, I've been in the business for, um, I'm not in the business now, but, you know, I have been in the business for about 30 years, and I've seen a lot, you know, from a lot of different perspectives. And my perspective now, being a little bit more mature and, and reasoned about the whole thing, is that I think in many respects this is, we are in the golden era of professional wrestling. If you look at it really objectively, and take your personal taste out of it, and you just look at look at where we are. You know, the WWE is in what 180 or 200 countries, um, or whatever it is. I can't remember off the top of my head, but it's definitely global and worldwide. 
The WWE just is in the middle of closing a deal with Fox Networks and USA Networks for billions of dollars, you know, for television licensing. The independent wrestling scene is more vibrant and robust now around the world, not hmm. just, you know, here in the States or even Canada, but, you know, in the UK, in Japan. There's just so much great independent wrestling, non-WWE wrestling, more so now than there's ever been. So I understand why people may be frustrated because they, they, they may be tired of only one major wrestling company and they feel like they're forced to watch that every week and they may or may not like it from time to time. But I think if one's really honest about it and objective, I should say about it, objectively the business is greater now it, 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 worldwide than it's ever been at any time in our history. And we got one more for you here. Uh, Josh from Pickering texted in, uh, says, can you ask Eric or the most difficult personality to work with when he was in WCW and the most pleasant one? Oh, that's always hard. Yeah. Because they've, they've all been, they've all been very pleasant to work with and all, they've all been very difficult to work with, <laughs> you know, at, at, at different times in their careers. You know, when I look back, you know, and I tend, when I look back and I, and I reflect, I tend to only kind of reflect on the positive things. I don't usually think about or remember the negative ones. And when I think of working with Roddy Piper, um, I get a smile on my face. When I think about working with Randy Savage, I get a smile on my face. Um, those guys, you know, not only were they great to work with behind the scenes, but I've watched, you know, I, I used to sit back and watch them you know, backstage or in certain situations when my kids were very, very young and just watching them react with my kids and, and my kids reacting with them and watching them, how they treated other people, not just my kids. They were really class people. And that's, you know, that's what I think about. I don't really look back and go, oh, that guy was a real jerk or man, what a pain in the neck he was or she was. I just, I kind of forgot all those things, to be honest. Eric, we could go on for, for days, and if you want more, uh, you, people can find it at 83weeks.com. Uh, what's coming up for, for future episodes? Can you give us a little bit of a tease, what we can be, be looking forward to? Because so far, the episodes have been phenomenal. Yeah, well, we've got a uh, – Conrad and I, you know, Conrad does such a great job. I've, I've got to give props to Conrad Thompson. Without him, I wouldn't be doing this, and, and, and even if I was, they wouldn't be nearly the quality shows that they are. Uh, he's got a great team. But this week we are going to be recording an episode about Bash at the Beach 1994. It'll be Hulk Hogan's first appearance in WCW. We'll talk about all of the, the efforts in the negotiations and the contract issues and the, the politics, you know, behind getting Hulk Hogan to, you know, make that move to WCW. How Ric Flair, you know, was instrumental in all that. We'll cover all of that. And, and knowing Conrad, we'll probably cover some things that I didn't even think I was going to have to cover. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, <laughs> Eric, people can get your merchandise too, ericbischoff.com. Some really cool T-shirts and, and things there. Listen, man, this was a thrill for me. Thank you so much, and good luck with the podcast. Thank you, Andy. Anytime, my brother. All right, Eric Bischoff. NWO creator, former boss at WCW. How do you like that, Toronto? How about that? Eric Bischoff, baby. NWO, we're going to podcast this up. If you missed any of it, must listen to. I'll tweet it out at AndyMC81. We'll put it on TSN1050.ca and on Twitter at TSN1050Radio. If you are even a casual wrestling fan during that time period, the 90s through to the early 2000s, 83weeks.com, the number of weeks 
that Bischoff and WCW beat WWE Vince McMahon in the Monday Night Ratings. Just sensational stuff. We'll take the break, come back to wrap up the show. A little Raptors talk. Kawhi Leonard, is it possible? A lot more coming up. Toronto Today. Boy, folks, if you missed that Eric Bischoff interview and you're any sort of wrestling fan from the 90s through the early 2000s, during the glory days, you got to hear the podcast when we get it up there. I'll tweet it out at AndyMC81. We'll have it on tsn1050.ca and uh, on Twitter at tsn1050radio because that was some good stuff, some great insight. And, uh, again, check out Eric Bischoff's podcast, 83 Weeks, and you can find that at 83 Weeks. Dot com, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever else you find good podcasts. You'll have Eric Bischoff there. Uh, let's finalize our Twitter polls here uh, at TSN 1050 Radio. Uh, started with a baseball one with Vlad Guerrero Jr. and Tim Tebow. And who would make the bigger impact in the majors come September call-up time? Uh, Tim Tebow played in the AA All-Star game, and it... It sounds like the Mets are going to bring him up. That they're going to bring him up. And I would think it's got to be mainly for a ticket grab. Like he's 30 years old. He's not going to be a, a cornerstone. But who's going to have the bigger impact in September in the majors? Vlad Guerrero Jr. for the Jays. Tim Tebow for the Mets. Or neither will make an impact. Vladdy Jr. Pounding it like he has been in A, 60%. Tim Tebow at 11%. And neither at 29%. Now, the other poll question was revolving because we had Eric Bischoff on. Who's your all-time favorite pro wrestling stable? Favorite wrestling group? NWO, DX, Four Horsemen, or the corporate ministry slash work in whoever you you want to have in there? And leading the way, DX, 43%, NWO, 37%, Horsemen at 19%. And uh, it's... Uh, we have Heart Foundation votes, Nation of Domination votes, uh, the Wyatt family, more recent, and even a vote for New Day. Bullet Club. Yeah, pretty pretty interesting stuff. Pretty interesting stuff there. Uh, so, yeah, you can vote at TSN 1050 Radio. Uh, her, our producer, Herbie Sachs, I don't know if I got your vote on this, man. Who's your favorite all-time stable? Because you brought off off the air, too. Like the, You can go dig real deep. The Brood with Gangrel, Edge and Christian. You can go just like all NWO Wolfpack. Like who's your who's your favorite all time wrestling stable? Well, for me, it's got to be Degeneration X. I'm going with the public on this one. Look, <laughs> the NWO changed the game, but the DX they raised the bar. They invite they invaded WCW Nitro. Yeah. That really changed everything in the landscape. Really kind of took things off for WWE and put them on top of WCW. So it's got to be DX. You're going DX. I'm going to stick with NWO because I was a Hogan junkie growing up, and him joining that just changed, as you said, Irby, it changed the game. So I'll say NWO. You can vote in on that. Now, the Raptors, and we're going to get into this more tomorrow. Vegas has put the odds that the Raptors tied with the Spurs are the two most likely landing spots for Kawhi Leonard next year. The Raptors. When this first came out, myself included, dismissed it. Now, yeah. Come on, no. Kawhi's not coming here. What are the Raptors going to trade? Vegas knows. Somehow, someway, Las Vegas, the betting books, are rarely wrong. And that could mean he goes back to the Spurs if the deal isn't right. But what would you give up 
if you were Masai Ujiri. I'm going to get into this more on, t- on tomorrow's show. But what would you give up, considering it's a one-year deal, right? And you have a year to try to convince Kawhi Leonard to stay. Like what happened with Paul George. It seemed like a year ago, Paul George was definitely going to the Lakers after this season. Sure. He re-upped. You have a year to recruit your guy. Could that happen to Kawhi? Now, he's turned into a little bit of a head case. As openly said, he wants to play with the Lakers. How much do you give up? And what does that mean, really, for the rest of the, the Eastern Conference? Now, I'm Silver, Commissioner of the NBA. I want to get to this. A big topic of conversation has been reseeding the playoffs. Get rid of the conferences, because especially with LeBron going to the West, it was Golden State and whatever fodder from the East. And when you had LeBron, it was always a chance, but even him against five All-Stars, come on, it's, it's, it's tough. So the reseeding process would be, forget the conferences, top eight teams. Then you really can not punish good Western teams for being in the West, and flaky fringe East teams don't get a buy-in. So how the the, the seeding I guess would be top I guess would be top sixteen uh, to get into the playoffs there. How how would that work? Well, Adam Silver talked about the possibility of reseeding. The most significant obstacle to seeding one through sixteen, as appealing as that would be to me, and I think a lot of fans, is the dramatic increase in travel that would follow. I mean, and, and our estimates are if we seed one through sixteen in the playoffs, we could be looking at roughly forty to fifty percent more travel. It doesn't mean we can't, but it's not something we could do quickly because it would require really a wholesale re-examination of how we do the schedule, how our television deal works, you know, in terms of the spacing of the games in the playoffs. So we're going to look at it. I think I think it has a real appeal to ownership. Um, it, it and I, and I know it does to fans. It's just not such an easy thing to implement. And that's a great point. We can say it, but you got to rejig everything. If conferences don't matter. How do you make it fair? Because in divisions, right, even though we know, hey, Atlantic Division well, it might not really matter, but within divisions and conferences, you break things down schedule-wise so you don't have people flying all over the place. How does that work, and how do you make it fair if seating is wide open? At least then you had an excuse. If someone had an easy schedule because of an easy division, well, they're in Division X. If that's taken away... How do you make that fair? It'd be really interesting to have that happen. But as Adam Silver said, you got to make sure if you do it, you do it right. Another thing Silver talked about was lowering the age that a player can be drafted to 18. My personal view is that we're ready to make that change, that it won't come immediately. But that when, I, when I've weighed the, the pros and cons, that given that Condoleezza Rice and her commission has um, recommended to the NBA that those one-and-done players now come directly into the league, and in essence the college community is saying we do not want those players anymore, I think that sort of tips the scale in my mind that we should be taking a serious look at lowering our age to 18. I'll be breaking down the rumors, the possibilities of Kawhi Leonard coming to the Raptors on tomorrow's show. Do you want it? What should Masai give up? Reseeding basketball, Jays, hockey, NFL, CFL, and a whole lot more on Toronto today at tomorrow at 11 o'clock when I'm back with you. So for producer Herbie Sachs and Chris DeVero, I'm Andy McNamara. The Scott MacArthur Show is up next. You've been listening to Toronto Today on TSN 1050.